So I was listening again this morning to uh, Ray's talk from last week um, about follow me. And, and, you know, and so much of our own journey is, is all about following him, right? Um, and I wanted to, um, you know, affirm, you know, a number of things just from what uh, you brought out, Ray, about, you know, God invites us to make disciples, not converts, Right. Um, you know, one of the fundamental things, and actually, Johandre, I know you're doing sound, but I'm, I'm going to need your help up here a second. You're my object lesson. <laughs> and, you know, he, he calls us to be disciples, you know, who make disciples, who make disciples. You know, and that's, that's a core dynamic of the invitation that he has for us, right? He doesn't call us to just make converts. And one of the dynamics of converts is converts oftentimes, you know, are, are seated, right? They're maybe seated over here. And then when they convert, they, they switch sides, right? But oftentimes maybe to just change sides isn't, isn't actually what he invites us to do. You know, I mean, because like, like this guy right here, right? What happens if I traveled from an island in the South Pacific and I came here to you and offered you a black jersey and said, let's, let's take this off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if you if you accepted that invitation, right, and you just changed your shirt, <laughs> I mean, that, there would certainly be a lot of people here that would be upset, right? <laughs> you know, and there would be certain people who would say, "Yeah, he changed sides," right? You know. <laughs> And there would be certain people that were like, oh, he's a traitor, you know? <laughs> um, and, and actually, oftentimes, conversion brings that kind of zealous response. You know, Jesus says in Matthew to the, to the Pharisees, he says, look, guys, you travel the seas halfway around the world to make one convert, and you make him twice the son of hell that you are. So our goal is not to just get you to change your shirt. <laughs> Jesus invites you to actually get in the game. Right? We can be supporters who sit at home and watch the telly. Right? But you're not going to make a whole lot of difference on the field. Your cheering in your living room isn't going to impact the score on the pitch, right? So that's what this is all about. We're not here to just switch sides, to say we've got more supporters than they've got, more enthusiastic supporters. Jesus invites us to get in the game. And so, this is more about follow me, and, and this is even a little bit of the prequel. 
Um, you know, the, the, the flip side to this, you know, what the Pharisees were doing, you know, just one plus one um, addition, Paul says that we should be, that the things you've heard from me, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you should teach them to others also, right? So, let me just make sure I got that right. Yeah. There's one more, there's one more layer. The, um, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, there's this four layers of reproduction that Paul talks about in Second Timothy. Um, and that is what Jesus invites us into in this process of making discipleship. Things that you've heard from others, not in isolation, but in the presence of many witnesses. You need to entrust them to people who are faithful, who will then share with others also, right? That's, that's getting in the game, right? Not just sitting at home... You know, I mean, I love some of the preachers I get to watch on the telly, right? You know, um, but if all I do is consume content, you know, if all I do as a follower is scroll (laughs) through my app, I've not actually reproduced. And so, when we think about that call to reproduction and, and this, this um, call to be a follower, I, I, I always think, you know, I mean, our dear brother Solomon, you know, we knew it wasn't a good message of Solomon's unless we got to the point where he was quoting from Revelation, right? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that God's been doing in me over the last season has been reminding me of how much everything goes back to the beginning. And his design says, let's go back to the, to the very beginning and say, what was his purpose? What did he establish and what did he intend for us to do as a result? And so <clears throat> I... I was sitting there listening to Ray, and Ray's talking about follow me. And I'm like, what does follow mean in Hebrew? And where does it show up? And so the, the word is called halak. And um, in Hebrew, you know, the, it gets used in a number of different contexts. But it's always interesting to see where is the first time that that gets used. Because it's always really significant. And the first time that the word halak, which is the one that is translated as follow throughout the Old Testament, um, the first time it's used, it actually doesn't mean follow. It means something else. In fact, it's used in Genesis 2. The first time that word is used in Scripture is talking about the Tigris River. It says the river flows, but it's the same word. It's interesting. What do we call this church? 
rivers, rivers of joy, right? And part of the dynamic is, is that God doesn't invite us to change seats. He invites us to get in the river. Okay? And the river is moving, right? It flows. It doesn't just stay in one place. If you're in a river, I mean, you know, even the lazy river at Lost Paradise, right, moves. <laughs> you move slowly, but you're, but you're moving. <laughs> you can't really stay still in a river. You actually have to fight to stay still, right? Ezekiel had a dream, had an encounter with God in Ezekiel 47. Okay. And in that encounter, God takes him up to the temple, and he sees that there is this water flowing out from the temple of God. And that temple goes out, and, and, and he, he invites, God invites Ezekiel to step into the waters there. And as it goes out from the temple, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where he can't touch the bottom. He can't, all he can do is swim. And that place of swimming in the river um, is, is actually connected to following, right? Because when we get to that point, we, we go with him, right? And we have to fix our eyes on him because that's all we can do at that point. Because when you're in the water and, and your head is the only thing that's left sticking up, <laughs> you have the opportunity to look to him and not look at anything else. That water flows, and it's, it's this sense of all-consuming. It's actually really interesting that in um, the, both the Arabic and the Hebrew, the word that is often translated as worship, shacha in, in Hebrew, if you do a modern translation, so if you put shacha, the word that's translated worship in the Hebrew Bible, into Google Translate and see what modern Hebrew says that that word is, it says swim. The word worship in Arabic, one of, one of the words in worship in Arabic is subhanallah. Subhan actually comes from the word sabah, which is to swim. <laughs> and so God invites us to swim with him, to get into a place where we are all in, we're consumed with his presence. Following him truly means to be all in, to not be on the shore looking at the river, but to get into the river, to be swimming with him, to be worshiping him, and to be going where he's going. As Ezekiel 47 goes on, it says, wherever the river flows, it brings life. 
And so there is this sense of following him is part of reproducing new life. You know, and that's what happens when a disciple genuinely follows Jesus. He gives you new life. And then you reproduce that life into others around you. And so that's what the flow is. When we follow him, we move to a place where we go to... I mean, the crazy... This is a ridiculous story in in Ezekiel 47 because it says that this water flows down the hill. And what's down the hill from uh, Jerusalem? I mean, the, the natural flow of water that would go out from there right now is called the Dead Sea. Nothing lives there. <laughs> Nothing. Okay? It's full of salt. It's, there's no fish can live because it's basically it's this place where water flowed in and it got stagnated and it evaporated and now there's no life. There's life in the Sea of Galilee where Peter goes fishing, right? There's fish up there. But that river flows down the Jordan River and into the Dead Sea, and it's dead. The, interest, the thing about the Dead Sea is it has no outlet. When you have a river that flows into something and doesn't flow out, you get fat, you get bloated, um, and you die. Um, and so, but the river of life flowing out of the temple goes into this place that used to be dead or currently is dead and makes it come alive. That's pretty profound. You know, and that's the life that he invites us into. Back in, in Genesis, there's a, there's a fundamental principle. When you read through Genesis 1, it, each day as God starts to create stuff, it says that he created things and they had seed and they reproduce after their own kind. So everything that God made has seed and reproduces after its own kind. The interesting thing is that we are all reproducing. (laughs) We will reproduce after our own kind, whether we're intentional about it or not. The Pharisees reproduce after their own kind and make somebody twice as much the son of hell that they are. Um, But Jesus, you know, invites us as a follower to to be people who are intentionally reproducing. Now, it's interesting that on the fifth day, it says that he blessed, that after he created the, he looked at what he created, it says he blessed it, and then he says, in the blessing, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then he does it again on day six. He blesses it and says, be fruitful and multiply. So he says that to the fish and the birds, and he says it to the animals and to the humans. Be fruitful and multiply. And all of you exist because your parents <laughs> were fruitful and multiplied. Um, and all of us are in this family of God because someone who was following Jesus was faithful to share with you 
And that faith that was in them has reproduced in you. You can be born into a family that loves Jesus, but that doesn't mean that that faith is necessarily going to reproduce. So as I was, as you go through the story a little bit more, again, one of the one of the interesting things about follow again, follow first off is flow, and then it's all in. We need to be all in because swimming in the river. Um, but but following Jesus, when you look in Scripture, involves a certain amount of turning. Okay? It generally means that we stop doing the things that we did before. And we turn. You know, so as an object lesson, I'm going to invite all of you to turn because <laughs> I'm going to stay over here now. <laughs> and Jesus, as he, we follow him, he invites us to shift. Sometimes he moves a little bit. He hasn't changed his heart, but he does in the process of following him he says, fix your eyes on me, right? <laughs> you know, And sometimes that means we need to turn. We need to stop doing things we used to be doing and start doing the things we need to do to follow him. Now, <clears throat> throughout the rest of um, the early stories in Scripture, we start to see this follow show up again and again. The next time you see it after that river is actually it says that God was walking in the garden. So there's this desire of God to walk with us. To be in relationship with us. The next time we see it, it's the story of Enoch. Enoch, this crazy story about this guy who walked with God and then was no more. Somehow God enjoyed being with him so much that he said, you know what, you're going to come up here with me. And he didn't die. I mean, it's one of the craziest stories in all of, of Scripture. Genesis 5.22, Enoch walked with God. Genesis 6.9, Noah walked with God. It's the same again word as Follow. In Genesis 12, 1, Abraham was invited by God to go. And so this dynamic of following, sometimes it's actually a command. Go. Go to the place I'll show you. And the challenge for Abraham at that point is he didn't know where he was going. And so he left his home and went to a place that was far away because God told him to go. And because he was in relationship with God and he trusted God, he said, okay, I'll go. Isaac, Jacob, stories through each generation. God invites each new generation to follow him. Moses. Moses gets told to go. 
And going for Moses means an incredibly difficult situation, confronting the most powerful man in the world at that time. And then there's this pillar of fire as God delivers his people from the difficult situation that they were in with Pharaoh. He says that this pillar of fire and pillar of smoke went with the people. And sometimes it went in front of them, and sometimes it followed behind them, and sometimes it was like all around them. You know, and so there's this dynamic of following that says that, you know, that, that ultimately that he's with us. <clears throat> For me, that's actually a really um, poignant, you know, your, your discussion about the sword, right? Because um, when I was 21 years old, my father... Uh, in celebrating my graduation from university and my commission as an officer in the U.S. military, um, gave me a ceremonial sword. Okay. Um, and on that sword, he engraved a Bible verse that was his commission for me, his reminder from my father to me as a son this is the thing that I think is most important for you to remember as I send you out. And that verse is Deuteronomy 31.6, which interestingly uses the same word. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. And in this case, that's the word, goes. He goes with us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I mean, you know, and that was my father's encouragement for me. I go with, he goes with, you know, my father's not going with me, but he's like the God who I have followed is the God who goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And so wherever you go, and interestingly, within a year, I was here. (laughs) Wherever you go, he goes before you, he goes behind you, he goes beside you, he goes with you. And so follow him. (laughs) Follow him. Be in the game. It's interesting, in that dynamic, he invites us into relationship. There are sometimes when you read these stories, you're like, is it, who took the initiative? You know, is it all like sitting back and just praying and, and, and then actually then God speaking audibly and, and then we start going? You know, or or sometimes is it that that they took a decision and God blessed it? It's not a hundred percent clear, and one of that dynamics is, is that actually God loves relationship with us. He wants us to to be so close with Him 
that my thoughts are his thoughts. You know, that, that as I take that step in confidence, that I know that my heart is so resonating with him that, that I mean, definitely he wants us to be, to be following. But as we follow, we become like him. And as we become like him, we know that actually, you know, he's in, he's, we have greater and greater confidence as we go forward, knowing that the steps that we're taking are the steps that he wants us to take. Same words are used in Ruth, where it implies, you know, a love story. With Ruth and her mother-in-law, I will go where you go. You know, that's, that's the kind of relationship God wants us to have with him. I will go where you go. I will stay where you stay. Your people are my people. Look at us. Your people are my people. <laughs> Your people are my people. What a beautiful, diverse family we have in Jesus. Right? That's what following means, to make his people your people. You know? That mutuality of relationship. There's a verse in Psalm 32 that Nicole has really um, resonated with and became significant to her a couple years ago. And Psalm 32, 8, it says, I will, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye. There's something that actually was genuinely intimate about guiding someone with your eye. I mean, you can say stuff just by connecting visually. Um, The next verse says, don't be like the horse that only responds when you pull on the bridle. You know? Do I have to follow him by only doing what he says when he yanks me? Or do I am, am I looking at him? My friend saying, Yeah, okay, let's let's go do this, you know? With joy, not just with fear and trembling, but with joy to say, Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this. All right? There's something about your eyes that like light up. You know, when, when you have joy and, you, and you're like, yeah, come on. This is an adventure. You know, I mean, I, you know, Caleb was like, let's go take the next hill. This is an adventure. You know, he wasn't just like, oh, you know. I mean, he recognized that God was with him and that with, if God was with him, who could be against him? You know, he had the confidence of knowing that he was being called into a bigger story. And a, and a hopeful story. You know, and that's what he invites each and every one of us into, is that kind of relationship that's not being pulled by the bridle, but being guided by his eyes. That's why Hebrews 12.2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So tough stuff, 
It's not going to get any tougher than that. But we fix our eyes on him, and he gently guides us by his eyes. Following means that we've got to be in relationship. We've got to be close enough that we can see each other, right? Because if I can't see his eyes, he can't lead me well. And it, it shouldn't be a burden. It should be a joy. Because he's the one we love. He's the one who sacrificed everything to be with us. You know, left his home where he could have easily stayed. And he took on flesh and lived among us so that he could show us the way. So that he could look us in the eye and say, come, follow me. The other thing that Jesus invites us to follow him into is his rest. When you go back to the beginning, God says that he blessed that which he created on the sixth day. And he blessed it to be fruitful and multiply. But then he also made the seventh day and he rested. And he blessed that day. And it's interesting that that day... Every other day it says it has evening and morning, the, the fifth day, evening and morning, the sixth day. The seventh day doesn't have evening and morning. It's like a day without end. <laughs> it's this forever day. And Jesus, when he says, you know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. He invites us to follow him into that rest, into that hope, into that relationship. So following him is intended to be a joy, not a duty. It's a relationship that is full of blessing and hope and full of rest, rest that refreshes rejuvenates, and helps us be ready to go back out and do hard things. Wherever he leads us, wherever we go, we follow him. So I invite you to get in the game, to turn away from the things that have caused you to not spend enough time with him, to not fix your eyes on him, press into relationship with him, Go with his flow. Be all in. And share that with others. That the hope that is in you would bring life to others as well. Thanks, Daniel, for that encouraging and challenging word. It's really.